Come on. Hello, dear listener. Before we get into today's show, quick ask. If you find value in today's show or you've gotten value out of a previous show, please leave us a quick five-star review. Be super grateful. Thanks a lot. Turner, are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. I'm ready. The people are ready. Let's go. Welcome to Money Savage Engage. This is George Grumbacher. Dr. Turner Osler is a retired academic trauma surgeon turned research epidemiologist. He's the CEO and founder of QOR360, a company specializing in active seating products for homes, offices, and schools. I'm excited to have you on. Turner, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Okay, well, I, um, you know, I, I was a, just a mild-mannered trauma surgeon for the first 30 years of my career, you know, sewing up gunshot wounds and taking care of car wrecks and burns and stuff. And then during the day when people don't get in so much trouble, you know, we'd like do general surgery. And, I, and I, you know, I had a terrific career. I was always an academic, you know, teaching medical students and residents and it was fun and exciting, but then I, um, you know, I got a grant from the NIH for a few million dollars and a master's in biostatistics, and I started doing mathematical modeling to try and figure out which trauma centers had better results and which had less stellar results so we could maybe bring the laggers ahead and find out what the best trauma centers were doing. And so I was like sitting around doing, writing computer code, whereas before I'd been running to the clinic and the OR and the ICU and on rounds and back to the clinic. and. So, and when I sat down, you know, for hours a day to write uh, statistical analysis code, I started having back pain. Hmm. And I thought, what is going on? You know, I've been fine for my whole goddamn life, and now this. And so, you know, I started looking into it, and it turns out it isn't understood. Hmm. Nobody really gets garden variety low back pain. And I thought, well, you know, I've been to medical school, I've, I've studied anatomy, I've taken bodies apart in the anatomy lab, I put them back together in the OR, you know, I, I can read academic papers, I write them for Christ's sake. Um, but, um, you know, there just wasn't much, the understanding was pretty rudimentary. And so over time, and, you know, it wasn't an easy lift, I, I discovered that mostly it's terrible office chairs that are kind of causing the trouble. And the penny dropped when um, I noticed that places that don't sit on Western office chairs don't have back pain, epidemiologically speaking. So really back pain is a self-inflicted wound. And so then it was just a matter of, okay, so could there be a chair that didn't cause this kind of mischief? And it took a while to figure that out because I have no business being an inventor or designer or any of that stuff. Right. You know, my credentials are all about medicine and surgery and math, but I was you know, lucky enough to fall in with a, a, a community of people at a makerspace here in Burlington, Vermont, who, you know, could see that I had the germ of an idea and, uh, you know, were very encouraging and very excited. And some of them had real design shops. You know, they studied at Pratt in New York City and were refugees to northern Vermont. And, um, you know, very quickly we worked out some prototypes and then we figured out how to manufacture them. And long story short, you know, now we're like making a kind of a chair that lets people move while they're sitting. That turned out to be the key. Nice. Sitting still is a catastrophe because people are supposed to be moving. We're hunter-gatherers, you know, for the first three million years of being human, we were like on the savanna traveling a lot by foot. And then a hundred years ago, everybody just sat down, you know. <laughs> 
you know, first at, at in factory work and then at desk jobs. And, and they not only sat down, but they sat down for eight or 10 hours a day. The average American sits 10 hours a day. How's that even possible? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, at work, at the PC, at home, watching television, on the toilet. It's time for bed. Yeah. So people spend most of their time sitting. And this is a species that's designed for walking, right? And if you look at hunter-gatherers, that there are still a few left, like the Hadza in um, Tanzania, you know, they don't have furniture, and they right. don't sit on the ground; they squat. And it turns out that when you squat, you're using muscular strength in your legs and core to kind of balance yourself over your feet. It's a terrific posture. It's been carefully studied, and they, there are many, many. Um, advantages to this but unfortunately most westerners can't squat except kids little mm -hmm. kids squat quite comfortably but we we lose that because we sit on these crappy office chairs and we we lose the flexibility necessary to squat so squatting is just not available to almost uh, almost all of us can't squat unless you're a extreme yoga person or something like that it's hard to get it back but if you'd read but you can design a chair that lets people move over their ischial tuberosities over the sitting bones of their of their pelvis so that um, you know, the, the the there are two bones on the bottom of the pelvis that are like the kickstand for the human body and the and if you stay balanced over them, your posture is perfect and you're constantly burning glucose with really big muscles, you know, the, your core muscles, so that your posture gets better, you're burning glucose so your basal metabolic rate goes up. Your serum markers, your good cholesterol goes up, your bad cholesterol goes down, your insulin goes down. And as a result of all this biochemistry getting better by moving, you... Um, you have a decrease in all-cause mortality. And it's big, you know, it's like a, a 0.5 reduction wow. in all-cause mortality, which for, for, an, for, an, for an epidemiologist, that's to die for. You know, yeah. usually you get 0.01 or 0.02. But if you, if you do the math, it turns out that static sitting takes two or possibly three years off of people's lives. And, you know, how can everybody not know this, right? I right. mean, it's, it's as big a problem as smoking was in the 50s. But if you rewind the clock, in the 50s, nobody knew smoking was bad. Mm -hmm. Doctors were smoking. Doctors were, <laughs> doctors, I'm using air quotes here, were doing advertisements for different cigarettes, right? I mean, they weren't actually physicians, they were paid actors. But the idea that smoking was normal uh, seemed reasonable because everybody smoked. And even the most, you know, the most eminent biostatistician of the era, uh, Emil Fischer, thought that you couldn't figure out if smoking was causing cancer because you couldn't ethically randomize people to smoke or not smoke. So we, we could never get we could never figure out what was going on. You just needed better math. And he was a smart guy, but uh, math got better. And now we know that smoking doesn't didn't just cause lung, lung cancer. It caused emphysema. It causes heart disease. One of the leading causes of amputation. It was a catastrophe. And we finally got the word out. It took a while, and now people understand that smoking is bad for them. It was hard, though, because everybody smoked and it seemed normal. Just so with sitting on office chairs. Everybody sits on office chairs yeah. and sit on them eight hours a day, and so everybody thinks it's normal. It isn't. We're hunter-gatherers. We're supposed to be up and around. Right. And and even kids, you know, we force them to start sitting in school. Right. Sit still and, you know, do your times tables. Right. Mm -hmm. So we 
we force this kind of stuff on kids early. And not surprisingly, now, you know, physicians and chiropractors are seeing kids with back pain because, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking for a parent to think that, you know, the, the, the constraints of our built environment that we force on our children are actually harming them. And I, I felt so, you know, this just like really cuts you, you know? And so I thought, well, it's going to be very hard to fix the problem with schools because, you know, heck, they can't afford glitter for preschoolers' art projects, <laughs> right. right? So how are, you going to, how are you going to replace every chair in a school? And so, you know, my design chums and I, you know, put our heads together. And, 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 and the design world is very interesting. They say, you know, there is no problem that can't be solved by good design. Mm. And I said, well, how do you solve money with good design? <laughs> I said, and so we designed a chair that for use in schools that we give away. Huh. Um, well, give away. You know, we give away the plans. If you have a CNC router, you can like, you know, cut six of these things out of a four by eight sheet of plywood. Uses a tennis ball or better, a lacrosse ball for the rocking mechanism. And so schools can make as many of these things as they want uh, for five or ten dollars a pop. We, and we put the plans up on a website. We, we give them away. There's been over a thousand downloads. You know, we, we have the idea that we can change. We, we can't get we can't get better furniture under kids because, you know, they're, the, the distribution model is just too hard. But if we can get the design out into the world, and there are a lot of CNC routers and a lot of plywood out there, well, we might be able to change the way a lot of kids change, maybe the way a lot of kids sit, maybe every kid. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Would it be so that 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 has its own website, uh, nice. buttonchairs.org. Um, you know, it's it's a project. It's not a product. Would it be better just to get rid of all the chairs in in a classroom and just to to teach the kids to to squat again? Well, you know, you we might be able to recoup that, you know, and kids might be into it, but. Um, and and actually, and you know, you look at pictures of schools in places like Africa, and it's really upside down. You know, we're trying to bring them furniture, where the kids <laughs> right. with, without us bringing them furniture are doing fine just squatting, right? They they have a better understanding of what they need than we do. And I love this story. I can't help it. Back in the 50s, you know, the United States was had a lot of milk because we have a lot of cows and we just couldn't drink it all. Mm -hmm. So we were like making dried milk by the by the silo. And so we had all this dried milk piling up and uh, it's expensive to store and this and that. So uh, USAID said, you know, we could give away milk to hungry children in Africa. And wouldn't that be great? We'd get rid of all this milk we have and we'd be doing some good in the world. Sure. So, okay, they started they started shipping, you know, boatloads of powdered milk to Africa. And so, okay, fine. Uh, but a year later when they went back to check, they find that African villagers are painting their houses with um, <laughs> a thick mixture of powdered milk. <laughs> and they say, so, so, you know, we brought you this stuff to feed your kids to make them strong and healthy. And they said, yeah, no, we, we, we got that. But um, it made them have diarrhea and be sick. So uh, yeah. this is the best we can figure out to do it. Because, you know, not everybody has the lactase uh, gene. And so, um, you know, uh, some populations just can't drink milk. And so by forcing our idea of what's good for people onto unsuspecting populations, we've done great harm. It's very hard to do philanthropy in a way that's constructive. You have to think really hard to 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 give stuff away in a way that's uh, that works. Yeah, second and third order effects that, that that we don't necessarily see coming. All right, so thinking about uh, grown ups, 
Um, we obviously have a lot of problems with, I guess, the is 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 the term morbidity. Just right, morbidity is illness. Mortality is deadness. Okay, so right. <laughs> so we have a lot of morbidity problems. Um, so in an ideal world, it would be no chairs, and we're we, we are just walking around all day. And is are our standing desks in in option? Are yoga balls an option? Right. No, I sat on a yoga ball for seven long months, you know, just but um, yoga balls fail catastrophically because crucially, you have to be able to adjust the height of what you're sitting on. Mm. And nobody even knows how tall a yoga ball is. Right. I mean, you can buy one of a certain diameter, but as soon as you sit on it, you compress it. And how much you compress it depends on how, the air pressure and how much you weigh and the barometric pressure and the te- nobody knows how tall a yoga ball is. Right. But almost certainly they're too low. And that people have tried to fix that by adding wheels or I don't know what. But basically it's a catastrophic failure because A, you can't get the height right. And B, um, in order to sit with good posture, you have to be able to feel your sitting bones. You know, the kickstand of, of the human body is right on the bottom of the pelvis. And if you put that on a yoga ball, it's just floating in space. You can't feel where your sitting bones are. Right. And so people just basically go into a dead hunch. And the dead computer hunch, which you can easily imagine when they round their back and round their shoulders and their head comes forward, is really terrible for a couple of reasons. The spine isn't designed to, to take that posture for hours at a time. You know, the spine is supposed to be balanced and erect. But worse, when you hunch like that, all of your muscles go electrochemically dark. Um, they, without um, input from the nervous system to use muscles to adjust the, ta- the tension in muscles and adjust your posture, they stop They don't just move bones. Muscles are active uh, biochemical factories that secrete enzymes and hormones and regulate, as we say, your uh, milieu interior, the inside chemistry of your body. And when you're not using your muscles, as I said before, your bad cholesterol goes up, your good cholesterol goes down, all that stuff, your insulin goes up, all that stuff uh, becomes very bad, uh, goes to a very bad, dark place. And so yoga balls kind of encourage that. But, uh, you know, I, I've been to a bunch of academic ergonomic conferences now because I'm very comfortable in the academic space. I, you know, I review journals, sure. articles for surgery uh, journals, and I, I've written over 300 papers that are peer-reviewed and book chapters and all that stuff. So, so anyway, I've been to a bunch of academic conferences. And I, met, I met the head of HR from the University of Michigan at one of these conferences. And she said, boy, you know, at, at the U, Mich, we, uh, you know, we have 30,000 employees and we banned the yoga ball mm. because we've had five catastrophic failures, by which she meant it popped. Oof. <laughs> and, and when a yoga ball pops, mostly people aren't ready for it. And most people aren't very good, you know, unless they do high level martial arts, are not very good at sudden falling. Sure. And so. No, they, they, they'd have they'd had head injuries. They had one guy, you know, who had a subdural and had to have, you know, neurosurgery to get the blood out of his head. They, they'd had lawsuits and they said, that's it, you know, no more yoga balls. And, but more than that, she said, you know, but it's very hard to get rid of them because people sneak them in. They can be deflated. Mm. <laughs> so she said, what you have to do if you're going to do yoga balls is you have to provide them, the company has to provide them and every January 1st, they have to collect them and put them in the trash and buy all new. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, you know, yoga balls are made out of cheap plastic and over time the plasticizer evaporates and they become more brittle and then finally they, it's not 
if a yoga ball is going to pop. It's sure, sure. But but if they're all less than a year old, the probability of a yoga ball having a catastrophic failure goes way down. So you know, first of all, yoga balls don't work, and secondly, they're dangerous. Um, and so institutions that have thought hard about the problem just ban them. Um, and you mentioned standing desks. You know, that, that's another very interesting story. Um, if sitting is bad for us, then standing desks should be the answer, right? Because sure. standing is the opposite of sitting. Well, you know, standing <laughs> is the linguistic opposite of sitting, right? But if you watch people at a standing desk, they're at the standing desk, they slide usually their non-dominant hip forward and lock it, and then they kind of lean into that extremity, and mm -hmm. now they're just propping themselves up with all of their bones locked and their muscles, again, go electrochemically dark. We know this because the metabolic activity of somebody at a standing desk only goes up by about 11%. It's kind of a small rise in metabolic activity so that their muscles aren't actually doing much. Uh, and so that's not so good. Also, you hear people say, you know, I try so hard to stand at my standing desk, but I just can't stand there for more than a few hours. It's so painful. Mm. Well, now that's that, that's got to be telling you something. Yeah. I, I know something about standing because, you know, I was a trauma surgeon in an institution with medical students and residents for many years. And so I spent a lot of time on rounds. You know, mm -hmm. you, you stand at one door and listen to some medical student drone on about the lab work. And then you go to the next door of the next patient and some other medical student. You, know, you stand. <laughs> for hours and you know I'm okay for the first five or ten minutes but pretty soon you're leaning against the wall and you've got one foot against the wall and the other foot against the wall you know and finally you just have to like you know find some excuse to leave because standing is a stress posture right when you want terrorists to tell you where the bomb is you just make them stand long enough and they will tell you <laughs> right so 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 it's not a comfortable thing but here's the real thing there is a great paper out of um, a, uh, a very respected group of epidemiologists um, in Canada, Smith et al., uh, 2019 in the American Journal of Epidemiology, where they followed 7,300 patients. That's a big study for 10 years. I mean, immensely expensive to do <clears throat> and to fund. And they found that they, uh, the group was half, half of their group was standing and half of them were sitting. And for their, you know, for their workday, and those who stood had twice the rate of heart attacks. Wow. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, a little back pain from your goddamn yoga ball is one thing, <laughs> but, but a heart attack will ruin your whole day. You know, and maybe the rest of your life. And and you can just tell when you read the discussion section of their paper that they were gobsmacked. They did not expect this, right? Yeah. They kind of expected standing would be better. And as they're trying to, and in the discussion section, you know, this is what researchers do. You know, you find something in the data, and they say, "What is going on?" And and as best they can tell. You know, when you're walking, your muscles in your legs are rhythmically contracting. The mu each muscular contraction squeezes the deep veins of your legs and pumps blood back to the heart because your big, deep veins have little valves in them. So you're, by walking around, you're actually pumping blood with your external musculature. It's not widely understood, but maybe 50% of the pumping action happens by just flexing your muscles and squeezing your veins. When you're standing still, that doesn't happen and the blood just pools in your veins. Hmm. Not only that, the veins don't have very much muscle in the wall, and so the veins dilate over time because you have this column of blood going from your, the, you know, the left atrium of your, I'm sorry, the right atrium of your heart to your ankles, which dilates the vessels until they get bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the valves 
can't quite reach and the valves become incompetent. And then you develop uh, varicose veins. I spent you know, many years stripping varicose veins out of patients who'd, who'd been at a standing uh, occupation uh, industrially. And I tell you, it's an ugly operation and it's, uh, you know, it's no one enjoys it. Um, and, and not even the surgeon. I mean, it's not an elegant operation. So, so you know, there's a variety of problems that come with standing desk. You know, it doesn't really get people active. It doesn't really solve the back pain problem. Many people say it makes their back pain worse. But perhaps most insidious, insidious, uh, insidious of all is the fact that um, it's associated with heart attacks years down the road. And so, you know, people won't be aware of this until, oops, it's too late. So and now if you put a treadmill under your standing desk, that kind of fixes all these problems. But those really aren't popular. You know, they're, they're expensive. They make noise. Your office mates complain. Right. Uh, and um, so I, I kind of think that the treadmill – and also you can't mouse accurately above a zombie trudge. You know, above one mile an hour, you just can't work a computer keyboard. So for a variety of reasons, I think that um, – pretty much standing desks are off the menu got it and so <clears throat> you have developed uh a way to sort of marry the two it's active cd right so our idea is that you know if walking is what you want um but you have to be like sitting down what you could do is you could make the seat that you're sitting on mobile and if you make the seat that you're sitting on mobile and you're sitting on your ischial tuberosities, now you can kind of walk in place without actually going anywhere. Um, there's a great piece of footage you could find on YouTube if you were interested of a guy walking along with no legs. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he rarely people are congenitally born with, with no femurs. So this guy has had no legs for his whole life. But he's learned to get around by just walking along on his ischial tuberosities, on his sitting bones. Hmm. His steps are quite short because he doesn't have legs, but he walks quite well. Wow. And, and you come to understand that legs aren't what does the walking. It's your spine and your pelvis that do the walking, and your legs just get you some more efficiency. Every step is uh, you know, a few feet instead of a few inches. But the power and the elegance of walking are actually generated in the spine and pelvis. And if you put somebody on a seat that moves, they can be walking while they're sitting there. They, and they have the added convenience of not having to decide where they're going. <laughs> Amazing. Nice. Well, Turner, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So my difference-making tip is move more. We know that activity is like if I could write a prescription for every patient it would be for activity and it it almost doesn't matter what you do you know play hockey or go for a walk just move more if you can get more movement into your life go up the take the stairs park a long way from your office whatever just get more movement into your life it turns out to be hard to help people do that and that's where I think we come in, you know, we say, okay, rather than making the choice every day to go for a run, you just have to make one choice, swap out your crappy office chair for an active chair. And now every time you sit down, you're moving. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, come on. Turner, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you and where can they get an active chair? Okay, well, if you just Google me, you'll you'll find me, Turner Osler. I have a TED Talk. If you Google TEDx Osler, you'll find my TED Talk. We have a website, qor360.com. I write a blog that goes on for 
it's as long as a novel by now, and it keeps getting long. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. I'm I'm not sure anybody reads it, but it's uh it's got references. It's you know it's I, I'm an academic trauma surgeon. It's uh it's extremely factual. I love it. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Turner your appreciation and share share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to qor360.com and learn about all of Doctor all of Turner's work and um, check it out. Go to um, where you can find his TEDx talk. Just Google te- or Bing or whatever you're into Turner Osler TEDx and uh, get one of these chairs. Thank you again, Turner. George, it's been terrific. Thank you so much. Um, I uh, thanks. For, you know, we we went through a lot of trouble to design and make these things. We just need your help to get the word out. Thanks okay. so much. Yeah, you bet. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Spending too much time on social? Is your daily screen time over two hours? Are you a little bit overweight? Not saving enough money? Any or all of these are familiar. Strive could be for you. The Strive two-week online boot camp will help you to detox your mind, body, and money, getting you on your way to a happier, healthier, wealthier, and more confident life. Go to strivedetox.com, S-T-R-I-V-E-D-E-T-O-X.com, and get your mind, body, and money right.